Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sending your kids off for the day to nursery or school can often mean packed lunches need preparing and finding the time to put together a nutritious meal can sometimes be tricky. So from a name that you can trust, make sure to try the little Yo pouches from Yo Valley. Not only are these 90 gram pouches a perfect lunchbox size, but they're easy to eat and recyclable. A good source of protein and calcium, these little yo pouches are perfect fuel for busy days and packed full of live cultures that will help support healthy and happy tummies. Available in two delicious flavors, which come in the recyclable pouches, these little yo yogurts are perfect for snacking on the go. To find out more, head to yovalley.co.uk and find it in your local supermarkets. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. The pandemic has taken its toll on all of us, whether you're struggling to keep your worries about the virus under control or have found yourself dealing with loneliness for the first time. Most of us will have had our fair share of bad days over the last couple of months and with this has come a newfound confidence to talk about how we feel about our mental health. This week's Food for Thought sees consultant psychologist Dr. Ritika Sukhbira and I unravel our emotions and explore the roller coaster of ups and downs that we've all dealt with. Hello, Ritika. Hello. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's um, it's a, it's a very strange time, and you must have been inundated with people needing a lot of support. And I wonder if finding perhaps a sense of solidarity that everybody's going through the same thing. We're all struggling one way or another. Is that a helpful way of looking at a time like this? I definitely think so. In in the sense, it's you know, we are going through something so unusual, so uncertain, that nobody has ever gone through it before. So there isn't really a right or a wrong way to be dealing with this. And I don't think that anyone can even tell us that there's a right or wrong way to be dealing with the pandemic and everything that's happening. Um, So I think the concept of solidarity is a really interesting one in the sense that we can't really assume that everyone's struggles are the same. We can't assume that everyone's feeling the same. And we can't also assume that everyone's got the same goal in mind or the same outcome in mind. But actually what we can assume is that we're doing it all on common ground. And I think once we are able to kind of get our heads around that concept, actually, everyone is going through this nobody's life is actually different nobody's actually going on that holiday or having their you know 100 person wedding everyone's actually in the same boat I think that helps people to feel connected in a time where actually we're probably feeling quite disconnected yeah no that's that's so the way you said that in a time where we feel quite disconnected really rang true for me I, I guess it's, it's very strange. We're all isolating at different points or we feel mm. isolated because our friends can't see you or the, the rules change all the time. And mental health is a term that we're just so used to hearing about now. So perhaps we should break down what exactly is mental health about? 
So I think mental health, if we look at it in the sense of, actually, let's start with, well, what's physical health? We know what Mm. that is, don't we? We know that that's actually looking at our body and it's something that we might check in with and we'll say, you know, especially when you see your GP, GP might ask you, how are you doing today? And that's the same thing, but actually using your mind, using your brain and checking in, how is that part of you doing right now? And that covers things from how you're thinking, how you're feeling emotionally, how you're feeling physically, and also how you're behaving. Um, So that's the maybe reactive side of your mental health. So that's encompassing it, I would say, as a whole, looking at those four different dimensions. Um, And it's getting covered in such a, you know, range where someone might just be focusing on the thought side of it or somebody might be just focusing on the emotional aspect of it but actually it's a really really big subject a really big topic um and people might actually not even realize that there's something going on with their mental health until they notice their physical health first so they might start to notice actually, you know what, these last few days, my legs have been feeling so restless, or I've noticed that my heart is racing a lot more than usual, or my mouth feels a lot drier, or I'm getting these headaches. And that's often a signal that there's probably something going on for you mentally. That's so interesting. I think a lot of our listeners, and myself included, can identify a few of those um, realization so that's obviously the physical side of things Mm. what about social social well-being with um, mental health yeah I think that's another interesting one especially as we were talking about this idea of connection disconnection you know mental health is about being connected to people it's about talking to people it's about opening up being able to be vulnerable being able to trust and finding that you've got good networks, good support networks, whether that be um, family, friends, professional, work colleagues. Um, And we tend to find that people with actually poor mental health don't have that sense of social well-being. They don't have those connections. They don't have those support networks. Um, I don't know if you remember, but um, early on this year, um, ITV they put out an advert um, about put your phone down mm. and connect. And they and they put it on in the ad breaks as well, because I don't know if you ever, I, you know, I'm guilty of it, is that when the ads come on, it's like, right, reach for your phone. Let me jump on Instagram. <laughs> let me, let. well, what was that thing they were saying? Let me Google that. Or let me think, yeah. let me see what the end of the movie was going to be. Um, and it's actually that idea of actually, you know, let's not reach for our phones. Let's reach for the people in the room. Firstly, let's try and make a connection with them. I love that. It's uh, oh, it's almost like fighting this very strange place that we've got to with technology, which mm. I guess is a different kind of conversation, but it does inter- interlink. And there's a Netflix program called The Social Dilemma, which I watched recently. And it's about how we've been wired or very cleverly we've been targeted and we're just trapped they get you hooked on your phone they don't want you to put your phone down yes we know that's what's going to be better for us because I guess if you're suffering with mental health you've mentioned some of the physical symptoms but how how else do you know if you don't get those physical symptoms that there's something going on if you're not experiencing um, palpitations let's say for example Mm. Um, I would say most people tend to, they do tend to experience something physically, uh, but other things that you might be experiencing is just that um, we, t- we tend to have a, bro- a broad range of emotions and growing up, um, I-, I know, especially kind of the way I grew up, um, you know, it was kind of taught to you, be happy be excited, be calm, Mm. be in love. But as soon as you feel sad or mad or scared, that's not good and we need to get you back to happy. And so we call that distress intolerance, actually. And and I think there's sometimes a bit of a mix between mental health and distress intolerance in the sense that if you're actually finding that you're normally quite on top of your emotions and you're really struggling with your emotions, um, 
and not that emotions are bad because that's what I'm, I guess I'm trying to get at. It's, it's not bad to feel sad. It's not bad to feel angry. It's not bad to feel scared, but it's about having a healthy relationship towards those feelings and understanding, you know, if some, if that feeling's coming up for me, what is it that I need? What can make me feel better? What do I need to do? Who can I reach out to? Um, so I would say emotions are a big part of um, a telltale sign when you know that you're maybe suffering with mental health. Um, it's also if you were able to take like a helicopter view of yourself and look and notice, you know, and I always say look at the past two weeks because that's a good sign. In the past two weeks, have you stopped doing the things that you enjoy? You know, your activities, your hobbies, things that make you feel positive, things that, you know, make you feel light and good. Is it actually really difficult to do those things now? Um, How are you with other people? Are you snappy? Are you irritable? Or are you actually reassurance seeking? Are you second guessing yourself a lot? And those are other telltale signs. Um, Notice how your sleep is doing. Mm. You know, are you sleeping more? Are you sleeping less? And diet, you know, that is a huge one. I always ask all my patients, you know, are you eating more? Are you eating less? Are you kind of, you know, maybe limiting yourself the whole day and then it gets to seven o'clock and you're having a big binge of lots of things? Or maybe it's instead of that one biscuit that makes you feel, you know, I'll have a biscuit with my cup of tea. Maybe it's the whole packet. So food is another really good way um, of starting to recognise What's, what's my normal, not what's the world's normal, what's my normal and am I straying away from that? Yeah, that's very, very, very helpful. Thank you. It's, it's when it goes, I guess, from being something that you, you need to talk about with other, other people to being, I guess, an illness or a disorder because sometimes I think labelling can be just as helpful as it can be unhelpful how, how do people oh, yeah. go from that transitional period then so they've acknowledged perhaps that their sleep is heavily disrupted and let's say I mean we see in the nutrition clinic a lot um mm. they're binge eating and that's something new for them mm, mm, mm. I th- as a psychologist um it's it's a bit of an interesting one I would say because obviously labels such as anxiety depression can be helpful to understand the concept and some people like having that label because it then gives them a way to understand themselves it means they can go and research it and get more information but at the same time other people they don't like it because they then feel like actually maybe you're trying to put me in a box and I don't want to be in a box I'm actually just trying to talk about my experience and and for me the way I work is I'll keep them in mind because I think they're helpful in the sense to understand the person, but it doesn't form the full picture. For me, what forms the full picture is what the person is trying to say and understanding their experience and also just acknowledging everybody has it. You know, Mm. I say to all my patients as well, I'm not perfect and and I don't want to be perfect because actually when things feel good I wouldn't even know that they felt good if things were good all the time (laughs) yeah so it's just about normalizing actually is mental health an illness or as as is it a way of life yeah I I love that because something that I spoke about with I think it was Fern Fern Cotton when we had her on Mm. and she said isn't it amazing that we can experience such lows in our life just as much as such highs. Mm. Like we have this ability to mm. really feel it. And I, I mm. think sometimes we, we don't think of it in that way. And exactly. the fact every everybody gets it because yeah. some people would say that some people are more predisposed to experiencing mental health problems though. I mean, I, there's a stat that I was reading that the, um, the LGBT are like two or three times more likely to get them than, let's say, a heterosexual individual. What are your thoughts on those kind of figures? Yeah, I mean, you know, the research is out there, the facts and figures are out there. And I think that's really helpful as well, so that services are provided for um, populations um, that may be more predisposed to experiencing mental health problems. Um, But at the same time, I think, you know, 
anyone can be and it can be I think it's it's you know it's a mixture of it can be part of your genetics um it can be part of your environment um it can be part of your upbringing it can be part of your culture um so I I I would say yes there are people that are going to be predisposed to it you know if you've got a family history of it um if you come from specific ethnic minorities um if you've got um, you know, issues with, um, you know, substance abuse. But then the thing is as well, with things like abuse, we would class it as an addiction, which then also does fall into the mental health category. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a murky one sometimes to think about in that way. Um, and it, I think it's also about understanding that it doesn't take away from people who might not be predisposed to it, that they still can experience it. Mm, yeah no of course there's always two ways of thinking at it I guess the two sides of the coin people say um it can affect everybody and it, it often does but of mm. course that there are some different types of groups of people that may be more likely in a different situation I guess it's, it's again it's situational as well it's so situational yeah what life throws at you or where you end up or where you're born one other thing that I think we should discuss and I found this quite interesting was that it's the younger generation now more so in women that may have a tougher time with our mental health what do you think about that I I think that's such an interesting concept and I think with all of these we're going to see two sides yes. to the coin yes. aren't we <laughs> important yes <laughs> So um, I would say with the younger generation, I think we're seeing more of it. And the reason why that is, is because I think it's starting to become okay to talk about it. I think it's something we're screening for. And I know certainly when I was growing up, it wasn't something that was screened for. Um, So I think because there's more conversations going on around it, um, I think we are going to see that more people are struggling with it, especially the younger generation. I also think, you know, especially when it comes to women, uh, and I'll talk about the younger generation and our generation as well, I think we are told we can do it all, which we can, we can, I'm not saying that we can't, but I think that then puts a lot of pressure on us that we have to, and sometimes it's, it's about being able to say, well, maybe I don't want to do it all, you know, maybe I just want to do this today but I think there's maybe this concept out there that women can do everything they can be career they can be Mm. mum they can be a daughter they can be they can literally do everything and actually if you think about doing everything all of the time that is exhausting that's hard work you know where is the time for you yeah um yes I have to admit that I think I fall into that trap sometimes Um, and I think it's particularly hard for some reason on women Mm. I feel women are there's a lot of underlying judgment if they work and their mothers or if they don't work and their mothers you can't really win Um, and it obviously it shouldn't matter what other people think about you obviously if, if your your life is your life you have to live it in the way you do but I, I really like what you said there. It's about, I, I wonder as well, this is the other side of the coin, is it becoming more prevalent? Because there's so many ways for us to be judged at the moment. If mm. you think about it, you know, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. um, Facebook, TikTok, um, Reels, you know, there's so many ways, especially the younger generation, so many ways that they're putting themselves out there, making themselves available, which is fantastic as well. But you're up for so much judgment. And with that, you know, that does take a toll on your mental health. It really does. I feel like I'm having a therapy session at the moment now. <laughs> <laughs> it suddenly I was like, oh, yes, it really does. And um, yeah, it's, as with everything, a double-edged sword, because yeah. we need people to be out there. We need to have this yeah. kind of information. It can be wonderful. But of course, that as with everything, there's always a big negative. And I think we tend to find some of the biggest triggers... Um, could also be perhaps hereditary. I mean, I know there's a lot of research um, in our our clinic. We have lots of eating disorder cases and there's Mm. a lot of research that some elements of that could be passed down. Mm. Um, Do you you tend to see that in your line of work with mental health? 
Yes, yeah, so I think it's a mixture. It's it's uh, you know we always take a full family history, um, and we do tend to see that if there if we see it kind of running down the family tree, uh, then it, it makes sense. Um, but it's again that same kind of nature nurture argument. Um, at, but actually, I think it can be both. You know, why does it have to be one or the other? I think your genes can predispose you to something and then of course there are going to be other environmental triggers that can come along the way um, and can trigger you in terms of what the state of your mental health is going to look like it's also then you know I'm a strong believer it comes down to parenting styles and the way that we learn to receive messages from our parents so you know if if mum was very anxious, we're going to see the world in a very anxious way. If dad was, you know, failure is not possible, you have to be number one at everything, you know, we're going to struggle to deal with any failures. Or if we've maybe had a more balanced parenting approach where, you know, it's okay to talk about feelings, it's okay to come second, it's we're also feel like we're encouraged in a very healthy way, we might then find ourselves being more balanced. So I think it's a host of things, mm-hmm. um, environment, um, genes, the chemistry in your brain, um, and things that are going to happen to you along the way. Yeah, and I think as a new parent, there's that um, element that like you said, the things that we, the language we use around our children, of course, it's never going to be perfect. And there's all, no matter what we do, or what you do with your children, something is not going to quite work out, because that's just the way life is. But I guess it's just trying to do as many positives as you can, I suppose. Um, There's even research now, um, I mean, nutritionally speaking, we know that babies can get the taste from their mother's diet before they're born, which could um, predispose their preferences for flavours. But maybe there's stuff coming out there about mental health before they're born. You know, the stress the mum goes through when they're pregnant, maybe. Um, I don't know, but I'd love to see more research studies on on that area because, I mean, do you know any before I go on? Um, yeah, I, I actually don't to hand know any, um, but I think, and I think it's a difficult one as well, because obviously it's, it's babies and there's mm. always not a huge amount of researchers there when it comes to... How do you study this. it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there has been shown to be research in the sense that when they look at neuroimaging is, you know, stress, the mother's stress does affect baby development. And that's why, you know, you'll always hear your midwife um, or your doctor saying to you, take it easy. You know, what stresses have you got going on in your life? You know, make sure that you're, you're calm, make sure you're doing your meditation, um, because it does impact that the way the baby is physically going to grow. So of course, if you're thinking about that, you're growing all parts of the baby and also the brain, that's where the mind is. Um, I think it is absolutely going to have an impact in terms of how the baby grows in the womb and then outside of the womb. Oh, it's so fascinating. Oh, see, I could just talk, I could just talk about that bit, um, but I, I can't. I must move on to make sure we get more content into this podcast. But um, if we go into language a little bit, how do you think we can change people's opinions then and change stigmas? Or is it the use of medical language, for instance, on mental health? That there must be so much. Yeah, there's so much medical language when it comes to mental health. And I think that's where sometimes and I think, you know, as well, we've seen in the profession that we started off with labels and then there was a move away from labels because people didn't want to be put in these boxes. And then labels are starting to kind of come back in, in again. I think it's all a case of just learning and knowing it's knowing the if we think about it as an individual I think it's about knowing the person mm-hmm. um and what what works for that person what's helpful for that person but then maybe if we think about it as a society and as a whole it's learning to not use words like oh she's crazy um which you know if somebody has had a real struggle with their mental health and maybe has been called things like that, we can understand why it could be quite triggering for them. Um, and I think it's about using safe, open and collaborative language. And it's it's so that people feel that they can be vulnerable. And the only way they can do that is by feeling as though they can trust you, that you know, you're not going to make fun of them or judge them 
or try and categorize them in a certain way or, or also try and finish their story off for them that they try and tell you something and then because you feel like you already know the end of the story you already know what's going going to happen you then try and button you try and say oh well you know that's going to happen to you or that happened to you of course or you know it's really about giving people the chance to let them express themselves because that's what mental health is at the end of the day it's not about keeping it in your own head because when you do you're just going to ruminate you're going to catastrophize it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and and it feels that way in your body you know I don't know if you've ever kept something to yourself and, and not talked about it to somebody you could literally feel it building up in your body and as soon as you start talking and you start talking in a very safe way you can physically feel yourself relax. You can feel the stress almost melt off you gently and slowly. Mm, yeah. I like the way you said that as well. It just melts off you. It's yeah. <laughs> a lovely, a lovely feeling. And it is quite sad, actually. It's something that we, um, we had a lot of training in. It's like you said, not finishing someone else's story. Mm. I think that's ever so important. And this is why... It, people should speak to health professionals though that are trained in your area when they need help because they know how to talk and when to listen and oh. that's such a crucial part I think sometimes as much as it's great and it is good you do need to talk to your friends and your family often they perhaps won't know how best to engage in that type of conversation. Absolutely and I think the problem sometimes we find Oh, especially what I find in my clinic when I see patients is um, they'll say, you just listened. You didn't mm. try to fix me. Because when my family try to fix me or my friends try to fix me, it makes me feel like there's something wrong. But actually, it, it's not that there's anything wrong because that means that you're almost like defective in some way, which you aren't. It just means you're going through a hard time which people do, and you just need somebody there. Yeah, I really I really like that, the fact that it, it there's not something wrong. And people actually think to go to therapy, um, there has to be something wrong with you. Mm. Or I, I still believe that there is a stigma to that in this country, the UK in particular. Um, you know, but it was still very stiff upper lip type of thing. Uh, oh, you know, what's wrong if you're going to see therapy or it's not seen as something that could be enhancing your life. It's seen as something to kind of just deal. Am I, am I explaining that in the right way? Do you, you, you absolutely are. Yeah, I would say that that's, it, it's unfortunate, but I would say that's exactly the way our country is at the moment. And, you know, therapy seems to be about that something's gone wrong or something needs, you know, sorry, let me start again. People tend to come to therapy because something's gone wrong. Mm. People tend to come to therapy because they think they need help with something in particular. Yeah. Um, and that's why people tend to come and see me. But I have actually found in my experience the best work is done when actually it's more self-reflective, when it's more about personal awareness and understanding yourself rather than focusing on symptoms yeah because I think when you open up and you you look into yourself it can also be quite scary though do you have any mm. kind of I don't know useful tools or things that can help people ease that anxiety I guess because you know it, it is tough to want to address your own um your own thoughts oh absolutely absolutely I, I mean I'll talk even a little bit about myself as part of my training as part of the training um to become a psychologist you have to actually engage in personal yeah. therapy yourself and and I was a little bit like that like oh I don't I don't actually know if there's anything wrong at the moment that you know i feel the need to get into therapy this was like years ago very naive obviously at this point <laughs> um and it was the best I, I'm, I'm going to talk about it as a gift as well because it is honestly the best gift I gave myself for three years in weekly therapy um just under, understanding who I was how I was obviously there's the psychologist side that I had to go into as well um but just understanding myself from that perspective was brilliant and it was terrifying to start with because if you think about it what you're doing is you're opening a door 
to a part of yourself that's a shadow. It's a part of yourself that when you look at it, you go, oh, not sure I like that. It's a part of yourself that makes you maybe cringe at times, a part of yourself that maybe feels a little bit prickly. But by doing that, and with a very good psychologist or a very good therapist, what you learn to do is actually give that shadow a hug and Mm. say, I understand that you're there, you're there for a reason. And also everyone has a shadow. There's nobody in this world that doesn't have one. And the more we can find ways of collaborating with ourselves, building a relationship up with ourselves, embracing our shadow, the more we're actually going to improve ourselves in a mental health capacity. Oh, I love that. There's lots of beautiful um, analogies coming out of this. I just uh, love, I love working with imagery. So. <laughs> yeah, but I think I'm the same. I think I'm more of a visual type yes. um, than audio-based type learner. And yeah, that, that's, that's a very gorgeous and positive way of looking at it. And just acknowledging we don't always need fixing. And no. people don't mean any harm when they're trying to come up with solutions. But there no. is nothing worse than trying to talk to someone and they're just trying to fix everything. You do yeah. just, sometimes you just, you need to talk. And it's great to know that the reflective practice that you have to do is so important. Because how else? I'm a big believer in if, if you haven't looked into things yourself, um, even as a health professional, yeah, we're within reason, of course. How on earth are you meant to help? Um, exactly, help other people. Exactly, and I think it also some it eases the power dynamic because mm. sometimes people can feel that the professional knows everything. The professional's better than them. The prof- you know, of, the experience is a different thing, mm. and knowledge is a different thing. But in terms of power, you know, it's about sitting beside someone rather than sitting above someone. Oh, com- completely. I mean, if we go to more of a physical sense again, and we're mm. discussing um, what people can do to support their mental health then, yeah. well, what are your thoughts on movement, for instance? Because I know that it can be a big pick-me-up, and I have experienced a lot of people um, at the moment because of lockdown, myself included. I'm just not getting out of the house because mm. you feel like you're trapped working mm. in the house. You can't mm. even get out for a walk. <laughs> yep, yep. No, um, so one of the things that we treat with depression with at the very early stages is something called behavioral activation Um, and it kind of speaks for itself actually doesn't Mm. it if you think about it it's you need to activate yourself in a behavioral way and movement and physical exercise um, and just 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 your physical being is such a big part of that so whether it's going for a walk um going for a swim if the pools are open I know some of them uh, have shut down now um getting fresh air just being in nature um anything really getting on a bike um anything that's going to get you moving is going to be really helpful for you um in terms of supporting your mental health I, I would say movement is is such a big thing because what we see with depression as well if I if I just go through this very easy analogy with you when we feel low we do less and because we do less we feel low so do you Mm. see how it's a very easy cycle to get caught up in and the way we break that cycle is behavioral activation we have to do something we have to get out pull the duvet off of us get out of the house yeah do something physical to lift that mood and you know I always say it's not about big changes and it's also not about about big mood shifts so even if you only feel good for two percent I'll take it because then yeah. the tomorrow, it's about building on that and doing 3%. And then the next day, 4%. So it's about those small tweaks and changes. Yeah, we've all been there when you just feel so rubbish, you don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. It's that type of um, that type of vicious cycle, you're mm-hmm. right. And then more often than not, when you force yourself to go and do something, you do feel better. I guess oh. um, the same thing goes with food and mood like that we have in the clinic. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, absolutely. And just coming back to that point as well, what you said, it's the forcing yourself. And yes, forcing yourself can work. But then what we tend to get into is this more bullying capacity in our mm. in our mind. And, and I actually just wrote about this today, about intention. And actually, if we can do things for ourselves with intention, so saying to ourselves, I will go out for a walk today with intent because it's good for me, because I'm important and because I deserve it and I'm worthy of that, rather than you have to do that because it's good for you. And if you don't, you're going to feel like rubbish. Do you see how the narratives are so different? So it's about having that intent in a real compassionate, kind and positive way. Um, Yeah, so coming back to diet as well, such a strong link between the food choices we make and our mood. You know, when we're low, we can tend to find that we pick the unhealthy, unnutritional um, things to eat, which, you know, in moderation, absolutely fine for you. But if we're doing that on a day-to-day basis, we're not going to be fueling our body in the way that it needs. We're not going to be hydrating our body in the way that we need. And that's going to make us feel sluggish. It's going to make us feel even more exhausted, which is even more of a reason to pull the duvet back over your head. Yeah, it's so these are the aspects, I think the physical things that come in almost like a pie chart or in a full circle, you can't do one Mm. with it, they all have such a knock on effect, movement could also impact your food choice or vice versa. And this then has a link with sleep, we know um, that sleep production can also be impacted by your diet. But I don't know if you have any advice on this, because I find that sleep is something that is so crucial. I know now having been heavily sleep deprived as a new mum and mm. now my baby does sleep, I still don't sleep because of the anxiety. I just, you just, I just like clockwork. You're just mm. so used to waking, you check on your child all the time. Mm. Mm. Um, would you find sleep plays such an important role that it should be prioritised perhaps even more so than you would think when it comes to mental health? Absolutely. You know, the amount of people that I meet that don't even know the phrase sleep hygiene and what that mm. means. Um, yeah. And it's so, you know, you have to start there. Um, you, you have to look at how are you getting ready for bed? Is this a healthy habit that you've got going on or is it really unhealthy? Actually, are you setting yourself up for more anxiety? Are you actually going to set yourself up for a bad sleep? And then if you've had a really difficult day, if you've had an exhausting day, if you've been, you know, running around after Bubba all day, and I know you've started weaning as well and, and everything yes. just revolves around meals and cleaning up and preparing, oh doesn't gosh. it? And you just feel exhausted <laughs> feeding they're they're feeding from your body and then you're feeding food to give them your it's it's yeah you know that's exactly it exactly um so so if if we're not then setting ourselves up to have a good restful sleep you know the next day kind of is going to go out the window isn't it really um so sleep is so important and that's why I say you know I teach people good sleep hygiene um you know invest in a good mattress invest in good pillows you spend every night there so why would you not you know don't don't think that you don't deserve it you really do it comes back to that self-care comes back to making yourself a priority um try and not have the blue light um i would say at least a couple of hours before bed if possible and try and charge your phone somewhere else too so it's not so easy to just grab 
get an alarm clock, you know, go back to good old days and get an alarm clock to wake you up rather than the phone. So if, if you find that you're waking up in the night and you want to reach for it, actually you can't. Yeah. Um, things like no caffeine before six o'clock, I think is, or, or after six o'clock, sorry, I think is such an important one as well. I know some people like to do it a lot earlier too. Um, but I would say six would probably be the most maximum that I would say to my patients. You probably know a lot more about that on the nutritional side. I tend to go even earlier, but yeah. I agree with you that's late, but it, it can have a 12 hour shelf life. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's, yeah, but I guess it's individual. So this is the yeah. thing. I know this isn't the topic of this podcast, but some people can experience um, the effects very differently. So you have Absolutely. to look at it on an individual level and how people cope. But um, what about as well? One last before I move on to the last question for you, I've got today: stress management. Um, would you say that's another key area that can help keep your mental health on track? Absolutely. I would say it's a huge area. And most people don't even know how to manage their stress. They kind of see it more as being a bit of a bulldozer and that they just have to get through it. Um, you know, it, it's almost like they're going into war and they're just, they've, <laughs> they've got to come out the other end somehow or another. And I think stress management can really give people the tools and techniques to actually find themselves in a way that they can equip themselves to be more resilient by being aware of the way they think when they feel understressed, by accepting their emotions, and by finding healthier ways of responding rather than feeling like they're reacting. Yeah, no, completely. I think from what we have definitely discussed as well with all of this, um, it's very clear this should be a much, much larger conversation than we can fit into this podcast because every single point could be expanded on <laughs> tenfold. Um, but <laughs> I think if we, before I take questions from our listeners, I think we should just touch on the fact that, as we said earlier, mental health has negative connotations, but it doesn't have to be that way, does it? And no. Can, can you give some advice for people to just reframe it a little bit before I just take questions from people? Absolutely. So, you know, I would say just as people might focus on their physical health and their physical body every day, whether that's going, you know, working out, whether that be in a gym or going for a walk, whatever they might be doing to look after themselves in a physical way, that's the same thing you need to be doing with your mental health check in with your mental health every day ask yourself how you're doing don't wait to get to that crisis point be on top of it maintain good mental health sometimes you think nobody's having that conversation or people aren't interested um, until you start having that conversation yourself so with mental health the more you start talking about it with other people the more you might actually notice other people talking about it back to you and that you have really really good and interesting and helpful and supportive conversations around it and I kind of used just as a way to kind of show you that sometimes we might not think about talking about something but then when we do we see that there's so much out there I think before I had my baby 14 months ago I, I wasn't really I would say um you know talking about babies lots there wasn't lots of babies around me or in my family um so I wasn't really talking about it and then all of a sudden you know I've got a baby and Mm. I'm starting to talk about it but more I'm looking for information I'm seeing so many you know wonderful accounts and then you realize actually there's so much out there 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 are people out there there's people talking about it there's lots of conversations going on so it's the same with mental health you know um face up to it in a way that feels safe to you and in a way that you don't need to hide from yourself and just start having that narrative. Completely. Um, I, I, that's so true. It's everywhere. Once you just open your eyes, it's one exactly. of those. Exactly. Yes. Um, and Josh has asked, um, what treatments are available for mental health illnesses? So I would say, number one, go and see your GP. Um, if you're struggling in any way um, and they can assess you, see how you're doing and then they can start referring you um, for different types of treatments. So um, CBT um, is where you would see a psychologist um, and that's um, you have a specific number of sessions, usually six to 12, where you might focus on something specific. Um, If you're wanting something a bit more 
open mm. uh, where you might be concentrating on a few things then it might be that you just needed it's called an integrative psychology approach with a psychologist um, because psychologists are trained in three different areas usually um, so that they're able to take from different approaches um, or if, if it's something um, if you've had a loss it might be that you need some bereavement counselling um, or even just some regular counselling as well which hopefully your GP should be able to refer you for and that's all it should be all available to you on the NHS. It's amazing our NHS is incredible and it's just so good to know the different variety of options that are actually out there. Definitely. And Ella has asked and I think this is a really good question what would you do she said my sister is refusing treatment for a mental health disorder so what can she do and what are the other options? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate that, mm. you know, sometimes people don't want to get the help. They're not in the right place. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's it. I think unless that person is a risk um, and then we're thinking about, you know, sections and hospital admissions, um, you know, you can't drag a horse to water. Mm. Um, the, the person... For the, for the help to work, for treatment to work, the person has to want to help themselves. And that can be a really, as a family member, as a friend, that can be a really hard thing to kind of face. Um, so if you are in that situation where you've got a family member or a friend and they just don't want the help, they're refusing it, and, and you're really struggling with that, well, you know, you talk, you get the help for it because you're then... Um, you know, as an observer, going to start experiencing some mental health difficulties yourself. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, we are going to now do our fact or fiction round. If you're ready for this, um, you couldn't answer fact or fiction to the following. Now, I do realise that this was a particularly difficult one to write because the area of mental health, I thought, is it appropriate to even have a fact or fiction round? But we've managed to find some questions that I think you'll enjoy. So are you ready? Okay, let's try. <laughs> Here we go. Fact or fiction. Therapy is a waste of time. Fiction. I'm glad, I'm glad the answer was fiction to that. That's <laughs> waiting for you to say. I was like, oh no, have I got the wrong angle on this? Um, okay, everyone can have poor mental health. I'm going to say fact on that one. Because mm. I think, I, I would say, I think everyone can have, I think if you go through something, your mental health can absolutely dip. There you go. I don't think um, anyone is not susceptible to that. No, no, that's a nice, yeah, that's very true. Um, children aren't affected by mental health. Fiction. You can get better through willpower. Mm, I'm going to say fiction. That's good. I think willpower is something that people um, often get very confused. Yeah. And alcohol takes the edge of anxiety. Uh, fiction I think alcohol actually <laughs> causes more anxiety but maybe for a second you might feel a little bit better but no yeah sad truth there um, yeah. bad parenting is often to blame fiction one in four people will experience a mental health problem uh, I'm gonna say fact but I think it's one in three now isn't it there we go yeah Um openly talking about your mental health is helpful fact you can just snap out of it. Fiction. Very good. Well, I think you did amazingly well in our fact or fiction round. Oh, thank you. I was a bit scared there, but we got through it. We got through it. We got through it. No, very, very good. And that does nearly wrap up our episode today, which I'm really sad about. But we always finish with a food for thought. And I think mine today would be the fact like we've discussed, that everybody is impacted by it. It's kind of reassuring, actually, in a very mm. um, roundabout, roundabout way, of course. And obviously, from my area of expertise, I will obviously discuss the fact that, you know, diet can impact your mood and your sense of well-being. But that does not mean, and I think this is where it's taken the, lot, the wrong way a lot in my industry, it doesn't mean you can't allow yourself items that are not perceived to be perfectly healthy, like chocolate brownies or cakes and biscuits because yeah. if you have those in moderation it's totally fine but of course do prioritize getting the right nutrients in a mediterranean based style plate on every day that's what's going to really help and be kind to yourself because more often than not you don't know someone's story you never know what's going on behind the scenes and 
reaching out and not being afraid, as as we discussed earlier, to trust people close to you um, could be invaluable. But I will let you, the expert, finish with a food for thought today. Well, I thought yours was wonderful. I really Thank enjoyed you. that. <laughs> um, what I would say is, you know, speaking to you um, and, and from what we've been talking about and the, the way the conversation's been going, I would say, you know, to your listeners, which is, really start to build that relationship up the one that you have with yourself you know start to get to know yourself better understand what are your triggers how do they make you think how do they make you feel and how do they make you behave and then once you've got that self-awareness take that helicopter view and begin to watch yourself almost as you would do in a movie so that you can see what's going on you can help yourself, you can look out for yourself and, you know, get to that all important question that in that moment, what is it that you need? And how are you going to go about getting that need met? Because you are important and you do deserve to get those needs met for yourself. Um, And then finally, just remembering, you know, you're not alone. I think Mm. with mental health, you can feel so alone, but being alone and feeling lonely are actually two very different things. Um, It is hard, but take that step and talk to people, people who you think you can trust, maybe a professional if you really, really, you know, can get that support um, and try and find people that aren't going to try and fix you, but that are going to just be there for you and listen to you. Um, And the more you open up, the more you talk, the more you'll hopefully feel better. So just be kind to yourself as you would to anyone else. Gorgeous. Um, Thank you so much. I think this is going to be a really, really helpful episode for everybody. And so where can we direct our listeners if they want to find out more about you and where, where they can get some help? absolutely so if you want to know more about me find out more about me um come and have a look at me on instagram which is at the mummy psychologist um i offer lots of tips and techniques and just all-round normalization um not just about mental health and mummyhood but just about mental health in general and feel free to just pop me a dm if if you need any support Oh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I've got so many lovely analogies whizzing around my head now and things that I know that I've really taken on board uh, from this, this episode. So, Ritika, thank you so, so much for sharing your invaluable time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed today. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure that you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. If you have time to, we'd really appreciate it if you want to leave a review so that we can reach those higher highs in the charts and hopefully help more people. That is our mission here with this podcast. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, the books, healthy recipes, and so much more, please visit Retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.